Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. I'm not just spitting out words to see what it's like. It's a great thing to be in the house of the Lord on the first day of the week, of each week. When you're serving God, it doesn't matter what happens during the day, it's going to come out right one way or another if we accept His will for our lives. Praise God. Alive and well. One man told me one time, he said, yeah. We'll still smell the flowers and not look at the roots. So it's a good day. <laughs> Don't run. Pray. Troublesome times are here. Filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom. And we all hold dear. Now let's say. We all have many trials and confusions sins that so easily beset us in our lives, that test our faith. And we need to know that God warned us ahead of time these things. And we cannot run away from these realities. But we can do what Jesus, our master, we can do. There is power in prayer. And we're going to read the whole text again, uh, but I'm going to break it up into three, three sections. But before we get started, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed on what's going on and, and where we're at uh, at this particular point of the message. Jesus had just taken the Passover meal and turned it into a fulfillment that is found only in him. All the hopes of the Passover would now be fulfilled in Jesus as he has come to liberate the world from our sins. And it would forever be remembered in the Lord's Supper. So with the memorial complete, Jesus and his disciples, they walk across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And that's where we're at. In Mark 14, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from verses 26 through 31. And it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today. Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So at this point, Jesus makes a pretty... Shocking announcement right here. You are all going to fall away. Think about those words. All of these disciples that have been with Jesus for a long time are all going to fall away. Now let me read to you another verse in uh, Luke real quick. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. It says this. 
Simon, Simon, Satan hath asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that you fail, that your faith fail not, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Now, Peter and the apostles have been warned here. We can see from these verses that Christ is giving them warning. Peter, Peter's a little overconfident, uh, prideful maybe, a little prideful. But that's really, it's, it's not so bad. We have a tendency to blame Peter for denying. Look at those words there in Mark. And so said they all. Peter's not the only one that denied Jesus, and he's not the only one that said, they might fall away, but I never will. They all said, we will not forsake you. We are ready to die for you. And though we often blame Peter for denying Jesus, they all said it. At least Peter followed along after Jesus and didn't run off and go home like some of the other disciples did. But Jesus is warning some more in Luke. He says, Simon, Simon, the devil desires to sift you as wheat. Now, you can't see this in English, what I'm about to tell you. But in the Greek, that says that Satan desires to have you. That you right there is a plural ending. He wanted to have all the disciples. Satan desires to have you all. Sifted like wheat is a metaphor for being taken apart. And you probably know this, but back then they would take wheat and rub it together. And they would allow the wind to blow away the chaff. And they would have just grain. In other words, Satan wants to prove to Jesus that these disciples of yours, they're not grain. They're nothing but chaff. Kind of reminds you of Job. Satan approaches the Lord and asks to really try to ruin Job and to take him apart and to leave him in pieces. So Jesus is giving plenty warning here. Then Jesus proves what he is saying by quoting scripture from Zechariah 13, 7, which says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Notice that it is God that is striking the shepherd. Striking is an indication of a violent death, a very violent death. The shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. But there's going to be a remnant. Listen to what Zechariah 13, 9 says. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. 
They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Zechariah says that God striking the shepherd is going to cause most people to perish, but also make it possible for the few to call on the Lord's name and for the Lord to say that we are his people. That is what is about to happen. Jesus' point is that this time is going to be a time, a critical time for the disciples. This is going to be a time of testing. God is the commander of all the events that are taking place, that are happening. Everything is according to God's design. This is going to be a difficult time, and they are going to fail. You are all going to fall away. Jesus knows what exact, what, exactly what is going on this night. He told them what would take place before it ever came about. He will be struck and the disciples will abandon him. It's important to keep in mind as we read this text that Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows that his closest companions are going to abandon him. He knows that one of his closest friends will betray him. But listen to the hope in verse 28. Jesus predicts a reunion and a restoration of his disciples. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he will lead his disciples to Galilee. Jesus will reunite his scattered sheep. Now you have to love the zeal and the heart of Peter. In verse 29, Peter says that this might be true of these other disciples. I can see James doing it. I can see John doing it. That they're going to fail, but me, never. He's not going to abandon Jesus. They might all fall away, he says, but I will not fall away. This is a huge claim of his devotion to Jesus. But look what Jesus tells him in verse 30. He says, this very night before the cock crows twice, Peter, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. Would you believe that if it were told of you? How could Jesus say that I could deny him three times before morning? Yet this is what Jesus says, and this leads Peter, as the scripture says, to be even more emphatic. Peter will, will, will die before he would deny Jesus in verse 31. The rest of the disciples say the same. They all say their loyalty. No matter what the cost, they're going to stick by Jesus even to the point of death. We will not deny Jesus. Those claims are going to be tested. You see, loyalty and faith cannot have true meaning unless they are tested. We should be thankful for the trials 
and the temptations in our life. So that God's power can be proven through us that we can overcome. Because of Jesus Christ. They will be tested this very night to remain true to the words that they have just confessed. Let me give you one reason why they failed. There, there are others, but I'm going to give you just one. They denied the truthfulness of Zechariah the prophet. The sheep will be scattered. They denied and ignored the warning of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why we sin. That's why it finally comes to us that Scripture says this would happen. Scripture said it, and Jesus warned me that this would happen. But we go right on through life just as if Scripture has not warned us that we would sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we just go through life just as if Jesus had not warned us. There are people sitting in buildings today listening to people preach false doctrine. In spite of the fact that Jesus warned us that there would be false teachers and that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing and to beware of false prophets and to beware of false teachers. I mean, the scriptures are so full of warning that there would be false teachers and people are just sitting in buildings today thinking that one church is as good as another. Ignoring completely the warning that Jesus gave and that the scripture says in the last times there will be false teachers and that there will be false doctrine and doctrines of demons teaching men. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, forbidding men to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God has created to be received with thanksgiving to them that believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy 4. Listen. I love America. I would not want to live anywhere else in the world. This country was created by God through people who believed in him, people who love him, people who would die for freedom, people who would die for the right to serve God. But we are rapidly falling away from God. Everything, not everything that is taught is right just because we're in America. God is not American. God is God. Jesus knew the battle between the flesh and the spirit. He knew what perplexities we would face, so he warned us. He died for us. And his example of running to the Father in prayer is the same answer for you and I today. Let's pick up in verses 32 through uh, 42. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. Keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Can you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We cannot imagine the weight that is on the shoulders of our Lord and Savior at this moment. Jesus comes to Gethsemane and tells his disciples to sit here while I go pray. He takes Peter, James, and John with him and, 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 and began to be greatly distressed and troubled, it says in verse 33. Jesus tells them in verse 34, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. He tells the disciples to pray there and keep watch. It's important to remember that. Keep watch. Jesus knows the concerns of what lies before him, of what he is getting ready to go through. There's nothing easy about what he is getting ready to face. What does Jesus do when he is deeply distressed and troubled? He goes to the Father in prayer. Jesus prays that if it is possible that this hour might pass from me. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus simply about himself here and getting out of the task that he came to fulfill? I don't think so at all. The concern seems to be about this particular path. There is nothing easy. There is, I mean, there's no other way to bring about the new exodus and to redeem the world from their sins except through the cross. There aren't any words strong enough to tell of the horror of the cross. Sometimes I think we fail to express just what Jesus did. We, we, we simplify 
the message of Jesus. As yes, Jesus died for our sins. You know, we teach our children, yes, Jesus died for us. And he did. But listen, Jesus didn't just live a life that was sinless, a perfect life, and just die quietly in his sleep. Dying's not the issue. The cross is the issue. He must die by scourging and crucifixion. Crucifixions were so awful that Roman citizens were not allowed to be put to death that way. Romans didn't even speak of it. The unimaginable horror of the cross weighs upon our Savior. So Jesus says in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, this shows the humanity of Jesus. You hear people say, yeah, well, Jesus was sinless and he didn't do this and he didn't do that and he did this and he did that because he was the son of God. He is the Son of God. But Jesus was tempted in all points like you and I, yet without sin. He was in the flesh. He suffered just like you and I, but never thought about His will. It was always about the Father. The desire to avoid one of the most excruciating deaths that has ever been known shows His humanity. People lasted for days on the cross with nails in their feet and their hands, bleeding, thirsty, hungry, couldn't hardly breathe, while their bodies just slowly shut down a little by little. Is there another way? But notice what really matters to Jesus. All that matters to Jesus is the Father's will. Jesus brings his needs and his desires to God, but all that matters is the will of the Lord. This is really what prayer is, is to align our will to the will of God. This is exactly what Jesus does. Listen. Jesus' will to obey the Father was stronger than his desire to serve himself. This is in great contrast to what Jesus just told his disciples. They will all fall away. They will abandon Jesus. They were not concerned about God's will. They were concerned about their own well-being. No one is going to stand with Jesus in just a few hours. In fact, Jesus returns to his disciples and he finds them sleeping in verse 37. I ask you again, is Jesus concerned about himself? No. He is concerned for them. What a savior. What a savior. Jesus is. There is no selfishness in Jesus Christ. 
He is always concerned about the well-being of others. They need to stay awake and keep watch because they are going to go into, enter into temptation. This is going to be a difficult time. There is nothing easy about what the disciples are getting ready to go through either. So he tells them that they need to be spiritually alert and not give in to the flesh. Stay awake and watch. This is going to be a time of temptation for everyone. Notice here that Jesus does not call Peter by the name that he gave him, which means rock. But he calls him Simon. Because he is not being a rock at this time. And he's not going to be a rock for a time more. You have claimed to be faithful to me to the end. And yet you are not ready for even one hour. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 38. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is a critical truth. And it gives thought to the problem that every disciple faces. There is a war between our spirits and the flesh. There is what we want to do, and there is what we claim we want to do, and there is what we will actually do. So Jesus comes to them to make sure that they are prepared for the temptation that lies before them. Then Jesus returns to praying to the Father again. Jesus comes back, and they're sleeping again. Look at verse 40. It says, they did not know what to answer him. Have you ever felt that way? What a complete failure. Jesus says to stay awake and be ready. And they completely fail. And the disciples have no defense. Rather than staying awake and getting spiritually prepared through prayer, the disciples are sleeping. Now it's too late. Now the time is at hand. The betrayer is coming and the events are about to take place. And let's read verses 43 through 52 and we'll close out. says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have to come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you 
teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when he seized him, when they seized him, and he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now an intimidating crowd comes to arrest Jesus. The crowd has swords and clubs. Can you see in your mind's eye Jesus, Judas in the front, coming with this crowd, leading the way to arrest Jesus? He walks up to Jesus, calls him rabbi, and kisses him. And as we just read, this was a sign for the crowd to know who they were to arrest. So they, with their swords and their clubs, they forcibly grab Jesus. And one of the disciples pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. One of them is ready to fight for Jesus. But Jesus puts a stop to this. He tells the crowd that they could have arrested him any time when he was in the temple teaching. But this is not going to be a fight. This is going to be a fulfillment of the scriptures. Then we read some pretty painful words in verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Sometimes we think that the danger was only for Jesus. But these verses here show that this is not the case. You will notice that. The crowd is also seizing the disciples, so much so that one man just let his garments be ripped off of him and he ran away naked. He let his clothes be taken away from him and he ran for his life. Then they all deserted him and ran away. All of them said just an hour earlier that they would not deny Jesus, that they would die for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But they all ran away. Let me read to you Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. It's a very familiar passage. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. And we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This account is here as more than a retelling of history. Mark is teaching us about discipleship and the way of the cross as we follow Jesus to the cross. 
So what important messages are here for us? The message of the disciples, I think, should weigh heavy over our hearts. How easy it is for us to think that we would be able to withstand any temptation that comes up against us. How easy it is for us to say that we would not forsake our Savior. How easy it is for us to say that they might do it, but I never will. Don't overestimate your strength to resist on your own. The scripture says, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Let me tell you something. Solomon, the wisest man. David, a man after God's own heart. Abraham, a man of faith. None were able to withstand the power of Satan. They were all deceived. No one has ever been able to stand on his own strength to resist the power of Satan. So it doesn't pay to say they might do it, but I never will. We learn from our Savior what to do in times of distress. Jesus turns to the Father and prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. I want you to notice the intimacy that Christ has with the Father, that he can call him Father. Are we able to do what Jesus did? Jesus has a great relationship with the Father. So can we do what Jesus does here in Gethsemane? Think of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome in Romans 8, 14 and 15. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, the, of adoption as, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does Paul say we can do? We have received the adoption as sons. You and I. Adoption as sons. So as children, we also can cry out to God, Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. We have power because of Christ. We don't realize the power that we do have through prayer. What we see Jesus doing in Gethsemane is teaching us to go to Father, to God, for help in our times of distress, our times of trouble, our times of temptation. In fact, Jesus is telling his disciples to be awake and ready. Because temptation is always around the corner. Notice how Jesus prays in his distress. His prayer is to align with God's will. His will with God's will. His concern is not about himself, but always about the will of the Father. This is the foundation of the heart of the disciple. As disciples, we must be focused on the cross. 
You see, the way to glory with the Father is through the cross. It is not avoiding it. It's so easy for our prayers to turn into self. Prayers about self. Prayers about what we want and not the will of God. We pray to God a lot of times only for positive outcomes in terrible situations. Terrible ordeals. But notice what we see in Jesus. He expresses his desires. But his prayer rests in the power of God. That's where it's at. All things are possible for you, yet not what I will, but what you will. You know, we need to think about our prayers ending that way. Father, do what you want to do in my life, not what I want. May your glory be shown through the things, the temptations, the trials that I am going through. Show your power through my weaknesses. God is great. He will not leave us desolate. He will answer our prayers one way or another. Let your glory be shown through what I am experiencing. Like the disciples, we know what we ought to do. Jesus tells us what we need to do. We know that prayer is the answer to our deepest distress and our most fiery temptations. So why don't we do it? I believe the answer is what Jesus said to his disciples. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. We think that we are ready. But are we actually ready to stand for Christ and to keep your faith no matter what the trials? I think we may be going through some hard times coming up. Time of testing and temptation come and we abandon Christ. We said we would be loyal no matter the cost, but a lot of times we fail. Our hope and our help is to look to Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with being distressed. There's nothing wrong with being troubled. Jesus was deeply grieved and deeply distressed. So what is the answer in the moment of crisis? The answer is not to run. The answer is to pray and be ready to accept the will of God. That's where the rubber meets the road. Be ready to accept what God has for your life. Before we come to the moment of crisis and distress, we need to be spiritually alert. We need to watch that we will not run when the challenge of our faith comes. Pray for strength. Pray that your will will be in line with God's will. Pray for our ability to stand and not run when troubles come in our life. Pray that the sufferings that we face in life will not cause us to want to serve ourselves, but to continue to serve God. Once we get to that point, 
where we can love God and serve him no matter what, then I think we need to take hope in the words of Jesus in verse 28. Even after the sheep are scattered, Jesus raises from the dead and leads us in the journey of faith with him. How's your faith? How's your prayer life? Are you strong enough to stand for Christ? I say without Christ, without prayer, we're not. We have to nourish and cultivate our faith in our prayer life now before trials come. If you're not a Christian, do you trust Christ? Do you trust what he says for us to do? To repent of our sins and to be baptized for the remission of our sins so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to rise and walk in newness of life. If you need to do that today, if you need the elders to pray for you so that your prayer life may increase, and mine as well, come this morning as we stand and sing.